0: Taylor Swift with The Cardigan here on Hit Radio 100. My name is Raiden Carter. A good afternoon to you as we're here on a Saturday. It's about 4 o'clock right now and welcoming back into the studio those who came in during the month of September. It was a very fun time. We learned a lot. It was the decolonization conversation in the studio right now. Is Doctor Luhan, excuse me, Michael Luhan bavakoa Welcome, Half
1: a day. Good to be back. Yes, and you're going to be here again for Independent Guahan. That's great for correct? the next three Saturdays. Awesome. Ne- and so, um, we had so much fun, Independent Guahan. We had so much fun coming in last month and taking over an hour of every Sunday afternoon, four to five p.m., that we decided that we would try it again, and so this saturday next saturday and the first uh the uh, the 7th of november the first saturday in november we will be back here the 4 to 5 p.m. slot on hit radio 100 and it's just nice this is a It's an interesting sort of time. I mean, we've got a little bit of time left before the election here on Guam, the election in the States. There's still lockdown, the pandemic is still going on, but it's still a good time for conversations about the future of the island, about for those who want to know about its past, those who worry about its future, those who want to get more information, who want to sort of express themselves, make some points about what they think in terms of the future, where we should go next. And so that's the purpose of the decolonization conversation. And so today's episode is, is special. Today's episode is free T-shirt episode. We did one of these last month, and we had a bunch of people call in, submit questions online, and they got free independent Guahan T-shirts. I sent, I sent a bunch to people on the island because we're still pretty restricted, and, so, and I also sent a bunch to people in the States who, who sent in questions via the Hit Radio Hit Radio 100 app, and so I had so much fun doing that, so much fun with the questions that people had. I wanted to to do it again. Oh, cool! And so for all of you out there who are listening, call in Hit Radio 100 477-103. Yes. Right, or you can download the app and you can submit a question online. But call in with any questions you might have about political status, the political status options, decolonization, what is self-determination. Perhaps you have a question about Guam history, about Chamorro culture, Chamorro language, any sort of questions like that, and I'll do my best to to answer. But one of the nice things is that wherever you are in the world, I will send you a T-shirt from Independent Guam. We've got a bunch of new designs. You can check them out on Instagram and on Facebook. And I'll send you some stickers, too. And so, if you're interested, please call in. I already have a couple questions uh, online, but I'd really like to hear from some of you out there. Okay. Really like to hear from some of you out there. So, put for All gang Come on. Call yeah, in. We would appreciate that. I actually have a
0: call on the line right now. You oh. want to take this right now? Oh, I'm good. I'm good. All right. Let's get here and let us see. Hit Radio 100. You're live here during the hour with Independent Guahan
2: half a day this is Shiler um, uh, and I have a question okay. about half a day so my question is uh, what does decolonization look like in just the day-to-day um, I know that you've been talking a lot about you know Guam's political status but I was wondering more in but um, what it looks like in our day-to-day lives um,
1: so, yeah, let's just start with that. It's a very good question. And so I think it's important to take it down to that level because, you know, the big issue of, let's say, independence or even statehood or free association, those to your average person seem very far away. But um, on a day-to-day level, what I like to tell people is that we can conceive of decolonization as a conversation about what to do, about colonial legacies. And so when we look at things around our island, we may feel that, you know, this is just the way that things have always been. But when we look at, let's say, how our educational system is set up, how our healthcare system is set up, even how our economy is set up, how our media is set up, when we look at all those things, it's really part of this this infrastructure that was brought in And we kind of just inherit it and we live in it. But the question that we have to ask ourselves if you're thinking in a decolonial context is do those systems of life, do they serve us? Do they help us? Do they empower us? Or do they disempower us? Do they serve the interests of others? Do they keep us disconnected from the island that we live on? Do they keep us disconnected from the islands around us? Do they keep us disconnected from our future? And so that's why, for me, it's, it can come down to those simple types of choices that we make when we consider, like, uh, I, it's so funny because you could even think about it in terms of your diet, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you could think about it in terms of your diet. People love spam, but there, ha- there should be a conversation, is, is spam good for us? You know, it it comes via a certain way and sort of you can make it delicious, you can make it mungy, but, you know, is is spam bad for us? And maybe it's not just the spam alone, but when we look at what the spam is kind of like the centerpiece of, it's part of this whole shift in our diet, which is tied to people becoming detached from the land, people becoming detached from our natural resources, detached from the food that we make and part of this infrastructure and system where we import everything into the island and we don't grow as much as we we used to and we don't sort of sustain ourselves as much as we used to. So even when we're talking about our diet, if we're thinking about decolonization, you can bring in questions about, is there any way that I can reduce my food dependency personally, as a family, but as an island How can we increase our food security? How can we support agriculture? Because when we think about it, the dependency that we have, we're 90%, 90% plus of everything we eat. That is part of a colonial design, sort of that was part of the U.S. intent after the war was to, to, to establish this very dependent relationship with Guam, that they would give money Pump money into these certain programs, but there would always be this dependency so Guam could never really break away, never really stand on its own and so when you think about that, you can see that even if you never took a class on colonization, even if you sort of never sat through robert underwood 's Guam History class or Miguel Bavakwa's Guam History class, even if you never sort of s- sat you know sat around the, sat in the cuisine in San Hidzong and listened to the late angel Santos those systems affect you they affect you and your health and your diet they affect you and your economy they affect your relationship to the land and so even something simple like that making those choices to be more sustainable making those choices in our lives and in the systems that govern our lives so that we're not going to live this existence anymore where you know where when we look at like our healthcare system when we look at our education system, all these ways, do they serve us or are they are they part of just an artifact sort of from our colonial experience? And so decolonization in some mm-hmm. ways is about changing those very paradigms and you can do it in small ways, but then the, whole, the goal though is you want to replace them with some, something which supports, sustains, and empowers the people more. Mm-hmm. Um,
2: so, I actually have a follow-up question oh. to that. Oh, so, yes. so you talk so is there time for a follow- up question yes. okay, so um, you said that you know it's a conversation about colonial legacies, so looking at a lot of the systems that we have inherited, um what about systems that people might really identify, like for example, um the church um you know the the church has uh, you know colonial history you know with the Chamorro people um, so I, I guess you know this question probably points to you know what would you say to people who might be wrestling with um, you know their membership or their identification with an institution like the church um, and sort of reckoning with um, the colonial history of that and then also thinking about decolonization
1: no, thank you for that. Because one thing that I always like to emphasize is that decolonization does not necessarily mean traveling into the past. It does not mm. necessarily mean that you sort of have to go to the time before the Catholic Church. But mm. there does need to be a reckoning about sort of the Catholic Church and the place of the tomorrow in the Catholic Church. Mm. And so there shouldn't sort of just be this, this you know, blind and I, I say this as somebody who's not Catholic. So, you know, in some mm-hmm. ways I am an outsider to that. But I do recognize that Chamorro culture is heavily influenced by Catholicism. And so, but it, you have to kind of wrestle with the origins of the Catholic Church. And what is the Chamorro mm-hmm. place in that? Um, you know, so, like for an example, uh, the former Archbishop of Guam, Archbishop Aperon, very few people on Guam know it. But when he went to Spain about 15 years ago or so, he apologized to the Catholic Church in Spain and to the Spanish people for the Chamorros, on behalf of the Chamorros who killed priests in the Marianas when the priests were part of a mission that was colonizing the islands. And so when something like that happens, that's when you really need to think, who is this church for? Does this church reflect us or... You know, are we lost in this? And so I would argue that sort of the former archbishop doing that, he, it, was, it was kind of a continuing of the colonization of the Chamorro people, where the Chamorro people are not an authentic part of the church. They're just sort of extras in the, in the story of extras, in the grand story of the Catholic Church's march across the world. And so in terms of that, you want to assert. Now, it doesn't mean that there's any one way of doing it. You know, I, I connected to this is next year the, it'll be the 500th anniversary of Magellan's visit to Guam. And people often debate like, what is the best way to remember that moment, to commemorate it? You know, should uh, because of what happened after Magellan came and colonization, all of the tragedies that came about, how should you respond to it? And some people say, well, you know you should not let the because there's going to be a ship, the Juan Sebastian Elcano which is going to stop in Guam. It's traveling around the world following Magellan and uh, Elcano, who finished the journey for him, their path. So they're going to stop in Guam in March of 2021. And so the question is, how do you relate to them? Do you spit on them? Do you surround their ship with canoes and steal nails and try to steal stuff from them? Do you um, praise them and thank them for discovering us? Do you invite them ashore, and do you tell them the history of the Chamorro people, and do you assert the Chamorro voice that we also remember this, and we will remember it in our own way too, and we want to use this chance to tell our story, and so there's no one way of 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 Mm -hmm. doing of sort of figuring out stuff like that about colonial legacies, but one thing that we should always remember is is it is it for us, does it is it our voice, is it our story? Because colonization takes a lot of things away from the people that get colonized. And so one thing, you have to take back your history. Sometimes you have to take back your land. Sometimes you have to take back your culture or your language. But you also have to find your voice. And you have to remember that ability to speak against the history, against the weight of history, which makes it feel like you've lost everything, you can't go back. And you need to remember, no, Mm -hmm moving ahead, I have found my voice. I have found sort of my strength. And so we're, we're not trying to go back in time, but moving ahead, I move ahead and I make choices with the full knowledge of what has happened before, and sort of a, a consciousness that I need to act conscientiously and intentionally and carefully about what happens to us next. Yeah. And so... <laughs> Um, yeah, that's, that's all my questions. No, no, go for mauling. And so I wanted to I wanted to share. So Victoria Leon Guerrero, who is the co-chair. So I'm a co-chair for Independent Guahan, and Victoria Leon Guerrero is the other co-chair. But she also oversees the Educational Resource Development Committee for Independent Guahan. And so she wanted, between questions, she wanted to m- me to read some quotes from different people, from sort of Guam's history, Chamorro history, that we can reflect upon. And so, before we take the next question, I wanted to sort of uh, look at. I wanted to read one of these quotes. And so, this actually connects to what may be one of our next questions. So, this is from the late Speaker and Senator Ben Pangalinan, and he says he said in 2013, he said. Today, in a time full of cynicism, political soundbites, and press releases, we must remember who we are as a people. We once mastered the navigation of the seas. Surely we can determine our political future. We survived a world at war. Surely we can build an economy which leaves no hardworking families behind. We are the inheritors of an ancient land. Surely we can leave this place better than when we found it. So some nice wisdom from the late Ben Pangilinan. So just are there any other? Okay, so I've got a question here. Then somebody just sent one on Facebook, and so this question—oh, this question is actually from from oh Angel Huertas. He is Puerto Rican in the diaspora, and so his question is: a Chamorro cultural contribution. What is a Chamorro cultural contribution that has impacted the world, and maybe the world doesn't even acknowledge it? Ooh, that's a very interesting question. What is a cultural contribution and so i don't know i have I have some possible answers i mean um we could we could we could i think for a lot of people they might want to say something related to food.
0: <laughs>
1: I think a lot of people might want to say that, and you know if if you if you are a fan of Kelligwin, you should know that several different Chamorros have been cooks in the White House for different presidents, and they've made Keleguin for presidents of the United States. That's amazing. And John F. Kennedy, for example, he loved it, but he could not say the word, Keleguin. <laughs> he called it the the the, the, Kagalan, the, the Kugalan, the, the kogelin.
0: <laughs> oh, my gosh.
1: And so, but what I actually want to say, it's related to what uh, Ben Pangolinan's quote referred to, is one of the great things that the Chamorro people can take credit for Is that when we look at the past, when we look at the past, like we were talking about Magellan's voyage around the world, but the Chamorro people can take credit for one of the first great voyages in human history. And so that was the voyage that led navigators thousands of years ago, 4,000 years ago, so long ago that there was probably still woolly mammoths around. 4,000 years ago. Navigators that left somewhere in possibly Southeast Asia headed out into the open ocean, over a 1,000 miles perhaps into the ocean with nothing like an iPhone, Google Maps, nothing like a compass, nothing like a map the way we know them nowadays, just using the stars, the currents, the ability to read clouds and animals, sort of this knowledge that navigators have built up over thousands of years and some islands still hold today. And with that knowledge, they made that voyage into the unknown ocean and they settled, the Marianas. And that was the first documented voyage of its type that people had spread out over thousands of years across the globe and they had crossed water, but always narrow, sort of, Narrow sort of journeys across water they had explored out from the continents into sort of islands close by, sometimes across land bridges which no longer exist. but the trip into the Pacific into the Western Pacific to settle the Marianas is one of the first voyages of that type and One historian says that the amount of the amount of uh, intelligence the amount of courage innovation that it took those navigators to do that is equivalent to what it took several decades ago for man to get to the moon. So in 4,000-year-old terms, what it took to get to the moon in 1969. And so that is something that belongs to the Chamorro people. Now, other people may have had great ocean voyage journeys before that, but we can't document them necessarily. But the fact that the Marianas were settled means that the voyage was successful. And so that's definitely something that the Chamorro people can sort of uh, take hold of and take pride in. Unless you believe in ancient aliens, <laughs> in which they could have gotten here because one of their parties was an alien. Right. And he's, hey, where, where are you going, bro? Well, you know, just go out into the ocean. Just yeah, this like, have, a, this like a nice just
0: spot. Find an island <laughs> or something, you know.
1: <laughs> but, yeah. if you. <laughs> but barring any of that. But so Angel, uh, Angel Huertas, he's a podcaster, a uh, Puerto Rican podcaster um, in Texas. And so, si just más, Angel, I'm going to send you a, a T-shirt.
0: Oh, cool. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you, Angel. And we've actually got another call on the line right now. Ooh, Biba. So let me get that. Hit Radio 100, you're on air right now talking to... Uh, Dr. Michael Luham-Bavak, we're wearing the independent Guahan portion of the Saturday. Hi, welcome.
2: Off a day. Uh, can you hear me? Yes, I'm good. Off a oh, day? Uh, when it's an off a day, hey, uh, so no, this is uh, my name is David Tidenfong. Oh, hey, uh, a day, a Half a day? Yeah, so uh, off a day. Uh, my question uh, comes as someone who uh, is living in the state. So I live in San Diego, California, mm-hmm. where there are a lot of tomorrows. And so I, my question is, uh, what is being done right now to help, I guess, bring the decolonization and specifically the independence conversation to the diaspora? Um, mm-hmm. I mean, myself, I found I found myself being involved through the language classes, but Honestly, like, when I talk about it to my family, I feel like none of them even know about it. And so mm. I'm just curious, like, um, yes. what is independent Guam doing or the other decolonization efforts doing to, to bring
1: that message outward? Sijus Masi. Now, a Masi, one thing that has hindered that in the past is that according to the old law for a plebiscite for around decolonization, it was only limited to people that are registered voters on Guam. And so in the past, there was yeah. never sort of a, a strong need to reach out to people in the states. And so um, because uh, many who drafted those laws felt that those who had left island sort of had made their choice, you know, that they weren't necessarily signed up for the future of the island. But what you're, you're bringing up is a very important point because oftentimes the children of those who left island have questions about where they came from. They want to know more about their heritage. They want to feel connected to the island. And unfortunately, a lot of times the, the Guam clubs in the States are really built on socializing in the States with people that have sort of a shared history, shared heritage, you know, shared culture. But it doesn't connect them back to the island, Right. It doesn't necessarily. so, okay. and, and that's what's unfortunate, because I loved the Sons and Daughters of Guam Club in San Diego. Mm-hmm. Like, I loved that place, to have a space there where Chamorros and people from Guam can hang out, have parties, have fiestas, have nobenas, have lisazos. Just, it's an amazing space. And so part of it, though, is changing the younger generation changing the perception of what a tomorrow is supposed to be, right? Because in the past, a lot of our parents felt that a tomorrow is just supposed to have fun. Well, that's a, Girls just want to have fun. Chamorros just want to have fun. And so, but what we realize now is that for the younger generation, there's a stronger sense of obligation. Like that we, we got to give back. We have to affect change. We need to learn more. We need to connect more. And so, um... I think so for independent Guahan, for example, there's a there's a chapter that's in the Bay Area and they've had different events and they've collaborated um, and worked with different organizations out there. And if you're interested, I would be happy to help you um, because I know a few other people in San Diego who are also interested in these things. I would be happy to connect you. And then we can even just have like a Zoom call to get everybody together because. For for me and so when I was going to grad school in San Diego, you know, I remember um, me and my my cousin Alfred Flores, who's a professor now at a Harvey Mudd College in Southern California, Josette Kenata, who's a social worker on island, and Destiny Tauto. We had we were four tomorrow's. We had met at an educational conference for Pacific Islanders, and afterwards, you know, we were talking and we were like how come Chamorros don't have gatherings where we talk about, like, the future of our island and our people? And then we were like, yeah, they, you know, it's good that they like to hang out and party and and pray pray to patron <coughs> saints and stuff, but there's more. And so we decided to just have a conference. And in 2006, we had what was the Sides and Conference in San Diego in the Sons and Daughters of Guam Club. And... We did it three years in a row. We got Chamorros from all over the West Coast involved, and it was amazing. And a lot of those people, eventually, we all made our way back to Guam. And so I think that all we need is just a few people who are interested and who are willing to put in a little bit of work, and we could definitely create something over there because I think um, from what I've seen from from you and from others who, that are outside in the States is that there's definitely an interest. There's definitely a desire. And so all we need is to just help each other, support each other, give what we can to sort of create something. And if we do, yeah, man, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. And so, Sidus Masi bit I'm happy to 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 sort of work oh. with you to try to create some sort of community out there in, in Southern California. Dan. And I'll, get you, I'll, I'll mail you your free shirt <laughs> so we've actually got another caller on the Ooh, line right here Hit Radio 100
0: you're live here with Dr. Lujan Bavakwa and we're here with the Independent Guahan during this hour Hi, you're live on air right now Hi, how are you, senor? Uh, See James Venditti
1: Hey, half a day.
0: I have a question. Um, How do you kind of start the conversation about um, decolonization with uh, middle schoolers?
1: Ooh, Ooh. Ooh, that is very interesting. (laughs) Udzahu Esti, Sidus Masi James. And so, but, so I love it because. We don't want to wait to have these conversations right when, you're, when they're in college, because by the time they're in college, a lot of the, their worldview is already stuck, and then it's about breaking open their minds, right? So you yeah. want to introduce it when they're younger. and so one thing that is that you, you you'll be excited to to hear about is that at UOG Press, under the leadership of Victoria Leon Guerrero, we're piloting social studies textbooks at least for the elementary now which mm-hmm. will be locally focused and will get into some of these issues they'll be locally focused talking about social studies from a Guam and Micronesia perspective but uh-huh. further along the way will come one of course for sort of the the middle schoolers but mm-hmm. so thinking about this wait so so maestro maestro Hanogi Escuela Talo are you you're a middle school teacher no na uh-huh. escuela the SIFA primary school. Oh, okay. And so, hmm, what would you say middle schoolers are really into from your perspective? Mm. What are the things that they're interested in?
2: Hmm, so, I mean, so right now, this is the, um,
0: the, the first time the tomorrow is actually uh, at SIFA. So I'm kind of, I'm still introducing the whole culture, the whole grammar mm. aspect to uh to the middle schoolers. But now I mean they they're all gamers. <laughs> mm. Fortnite. You know. Uh nice. so maybe yeah, I mean I try to um, I try to connect, uh, try to make it fun dealing with um Fortnite, dealing with uh, mm. the musical bands, Korean K pop. <laughs>
2: <No moment, laughs> try to
1: as much. So, I think that one of the ways, so I have a lot of different ways that I can think about this, but so one of them is to really, um, to really try to. So, one thing that I do, for example, because my daughter's in middle school, is um, whenever she's talking about something from the states, like they're studying the Declaration of Independence now, I'm always trying to tell her about Guam and connecting it to. So that's that's oh, dispense. And so hopefully he can uh, still hear me even if he's not on the air. But um, but when you're talking about media, that's a great way of talking about it because the stories that young people are into can also be used to help them understand their own situation. So one of the things, for example, um, when I used to teach like history, is you talk about Game of Thrones and you talk about it in the context of the forces that they're excited to see in play in Game of Thrones, and then it's a way of kind of opening it up to them to see that learning your own history is not boring. It's the same stuff that you like in these other ways. So, for example, one thing for me that I, is when Assassin's Creed was a lot more popular. I mean, you know, think that's all about, like, resistance, right, and people that are that are pushing for the truth from the shadows and so on. And so if you, if you sort of put it in that way, right, that we're learning these secret truths, you know, this is knowledge which is not out there. For a lot of older people, they remember the book Lies My Teacher Told Me, that sometimes high school teachers would use that, for example. And when you put it in a way that there was... Um, Dakota Camacho, I was on a webinar with him earlier, and he said that his, one of his history teachers, when they walked into the room for class... He pointed at the corner and said, like, these are the history books. We're not going to go near them because they're dangerous. Because these were your traditional history books, which didn't tell a very good history. But then he used another book, uh, A People's History of the United States, which is a little bit more critical. And he used that. And so one thing that I find is you can use the media that they're into to try to help them to get them into understanding it a little bit more. And when we think about our situation in Guam, you know, it's lots of, uh, lots of stories you find in video games and so on, um, which can connect in terms of resisting forces, standing up for what's important, standing up for what you believe in. You know, a, a game that I, I haven't played, but I love watching videos on YouTube about is, what is it, Among Us? <laughs> and so whenever I'm, what's it called? When, whenever I'm talking to, to like younger people about it, I'm always trying to talk to them about yeah you know that's that's what it's like is that um, a lot of times the government or politicians or 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 the media they may lie to you. You got to figure out how to tell if they're lying to you. Just in the same way in which you know uh, Jacksepticeye might be really good at lying to you and and deceiving you into thinking he's not the impostor when he really is sort of what's he really is, what you should be focusing on. And so even using something like that to help, not necessarily directly related to, to Chamorro stuff, but just how do you get kids to be more critical? And that's what I've always encouraged people is that if you can frame it in the right way, like a young person will consume knowledge and will love it. They will, they will consume it. They will be so hooked on it. If you can frame it in a right way, Because you look at, you know, people that say that kids aren't into learning nowadays. If it's the right thing, then they will watch 800 videos about it. They will want to learn every aspect of it. Why is it that on YouTube, for example, for young people, every time there's a video game, there's always lore videos which talk about the background and the history, and young people love that. Imagine if you could use that dynamic to teach history instead That instead of because they find themselves connected to these video game universes, these cultural media universes, imagine if you use those same ways to get them into learning the history of the island. It is possible. It is possible. But I know we lost James, but Sidzus Masi for your question. It even got me thinking too about what are ways that we would do that.
0: Right. That's actually a really cool way to think about it. um, I've never saw it like that. And the word framing it in the right mindset is really nice.
1: Should we take a break or?
0: Uh yes, we actually can take a break right okay, now. Moment. And uh, I've actually got a couple of questions if need be uh, coming on to the next part. Ooh, so we'll nice. be right back and we'll see you on the other side. You're listening to Hit Radio 100 Independent Guahan inside of the studio right now. yes, we are live and yes, we'll they'll be here until November 7th, so we've got a couple more days left with them. So we'll be right back here on Hit Radio 100.